Inside your uh, program, there's an outline. I'd invite you to go ahead and pull that out, take it out. As you do, you're going to notice the topic right away. This is, this is going to be on marriage. I need to give a caveat from the very beginning. I am absolutely not an expert on marriage. My wife is here this weekend. She will attest to that fact, clearly. You know, I knew her. I've known her for over 20 years. We've been married for 10. I've had a lot of very wise, godly people say, what took you so long? Why did you not marry her earlier? You know, we knew each other for a long time before we started dating. But I'm just telling you this. If I would have known half of what I knew about what we're talking about today, it would have served me so well. Uh, ladies, would you acknowledge that men to be, tend to be a little bit slower intuitively, relationally? Is that fair? Fair statement? Guys, would you acknowledge that? All right. Yeah, no com- Do you see that? Her, her, her. No complaint at all. We get it. We know. Uh, so listen, we all need a lot of grace in this area. A lot of grace. So as we go into this, um, I want to bring you up to speed on the series that we're in, which will lead us into the topic of today. The series we're in, it is called Epic. And what this is based on is a book written by Paul, leader of the early church, and he wrote it to followers who were in this really pagan, godless society, about a quarter million people. It was a city called Ephesus, modern-day Turkey. But he was writing to them, and what he did is laid out this massive grand plan of God, saying this is what God is up to. We have broken the series down into two parts. The first part of the series is talking about God's great design and his plan. It's like rolling out the blueprints and seeing the big picture of what he's up to. And what you discover in this is God chose his followers to be part of ushering in the kingdom of God on earth. He wants to heal people, make them whole. And once they're walking with God, he enlists them to be part of this grand scheme to bring everything under the true leadership of King Jesus in our current life, in the life to come. That's part one of the series. Part two, it gets really practical. Like, what does it mean to be a Christ follower today? What's that actually look like? So he was describing it to the modern day people, but you're gonna notice this stuff is absolutely timeless. That's why scripture is, while it's ancient scripture, it is timeless in application. Today's gonna be a great example of that again. So as we go into this, we, before we jump into Ephesians, we got to go backwards. I want to take you all the way back to the beginning of the book. We're going to go to the book of Genesis chapter 1. And if you're following in your outline, it says back to the garden, because we're literally going back to the garden right now. The reason I'm taking you there is because I want to give you a little glimpse of what marriage looked like before the relationship fell apart, Okay. So let's take a look. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. It says, so God created mankind in his own image. That's very different than how he created anything else. Once man and woman were on scene, he says they are image bearers of God. Huge thing, man and woman. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28, God blessed them. Again, Mike has highlighted this that a lot of times we throw around the word bless. It's a trite little word. Not at all. In the original language, this is not trite at all. It was one of the most powerful words that you could use because what it's showing is this is life as it was meant to be, as God, the wisest, smartest, most uh, amazing person you'd ever want to meet. He designed this thing in such a way that it should be life-giving and fulfilling. So when it uses this word blessed, that's the meaning behind it. It says, he blessed them, and he said to them, 
Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Then he uses this word, rule over it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky over every living creature that moves on the ground. So God gave two commands to man and woman. Hey, fill the earth, have kids, fill it up. Then he says, rule over it. What you get at this picture is God in his ultimate authority, he's designated man and woman to be like king and queen over the earth. And he says, rule over it, take care of it. Take care of it like I would take care of it. When you get a picture of this relationship as the way it was meant to be, they walked in this amazing partnership, amazing friendship. It was graceful, it was beautiful, it was loving. It was this amazing gift, and that's what they walked in. That's how it all began. It didn't at all feel hierarchical. Um, It was this grand design, but it got corrupted. When they sinned, when they turned away from God, something happened. When they turned from God, they turned on each other, and something broke. New ingredients came into this relationship they'd never experienced before. It's a result of sin. What happened? Well, all of a sudden, new feelings started coming in, new ways of acting or reacting. All of a sudden, jealousy creeped in. Selfishness was now at play. Fear, anger, bitterness, resentments. All of a sudden, the perfect design is now broken and something got corrupted. Genesis chapter 3 highlights this brokenness in the relationship. And in verse 16, you'll see this on the screen. It says, your desire will be for your husband and he'll rule over you. Guys, quick warning here. This is not a verse to quote, by the way, <laughs> at all. <laughs> Do you want an honest truth here? It is about your twisted behavior, honestly. Ladies, it's about yours. This is what it means. When it says, your desire is for your husband. First of all, this is not, oh, oh he, she desires him. No, it's not in a good way. What this means, it's the same word that is used in Genesis 4, 17 when it talks about sin in the original language. Basically what it says, sin desires to have you, but you must rule over it. So a better way of thinking about this is put the word control in there. Sin wants to control you. You got to rule over it. Now bring that back to this other verse, Genesis three sixteen. Women, your desire is to control him. Ah, ah, you see conflict coming? Now, same way, guys. And your desire is to what? Control her. She wants to control him. He wants to control her. Something's wrong in paradise, right? It has gone sideways. This was the beginning of the battle of the sexes, and something broke because of sin in that relationship, and it broke down. So marriage, how it was truly intended to be, now has these obstacles relationally, because the sin that we got to work through. That fat, now fast forward us back to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians is about the restoration of all things. And so these practical topics, we jump into marriage. We're moving into the longest teaching on marriage in Scripture in this Ephesians chapter 5 section. So it's going to be a great one as we jump into it. There's going to be very specific instructions to husbands. There's specific instructions to wives. Ladies, you're going to like this. You got about three verses. Guys have twice as many many verses for them. What does that say? Isn't there a lesson in that right there? Um, Twice as many for guys. Um, So we're going to unpack this for two weeks. 
This week, there's going to be a heavy emphasis for instruction for the ladies. Next week, a heavier emphasis for the guys. Both weeks, it's going to apply to everybody, so you'll catch it. So I want to say this. If you've never been married, planning on getting married, can I just say, take my advice. I wish I would have known this. Take notes on this thing. It's going to help you out. If you're married, doesn't matter if you're married for a day or you've been married for 50 years, we will all be growing in this. So you're going to want to pay attention to this. And if you're single, trust me, do you know someone who's married? Awesome. You're going to be, this is going to be helpful for everybody. There's great advice in all of this. So we're going to move into chapter 5, but I want to bring you up to speed in this context of this section. Ephesians 5, at about verse 15, it says, it talks about living and doing the will of God. And then it gives two commands before we get to this marriage section. And it says this, don't get drunk. And then the other thing it says, you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity, the God has himself, Holy Spirit, to fill you to overflowing. And he says, a person who is submitted to God and living with the freedom of God to fill you and use you and move through you, it's going to look like this. And then it goes through several ING words, the participles, and it talks about, hey, you're speaking to each other like this. You're singing. You're making music. You are giving thanks. You're submitting to one another. Now, in our Bibles, Mike has highlighted this well, that what it looks like is that these are commands. Actually, these are results of living filled by the Spirit. It's what it looks like. You're worshiping. You're giving thanks. You're thankful. And you're submitting to one another. Last week, Mike camped out on this submission part. Submission in our culture, it's not a great word. It's not a popular word. Um, doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu, um, one of the things you got to do is you got to submit your opponent. Do you want to be the one submitted? No way, that's bad. You want to be the one submitting them. That's the goal. And in our culture, that kind of carries over past a match like that. What it carries over to is like if you're in a submitted place, it communicates, ah, you're in a less valued place. You're not as significant. And that's our cultural mindset that we read into the text when we get it. And so when Ephesians comes around and it talks about it, basically, and last week Mike unpacked this, Jesus reframed it, did a 180 on it, by saying this, the idea of submitting is actually this. It means you're going to put the person's interest before you, and you're doing it to be a servant to them, and that's where life is. And he gave this amazing picture of Jesus Washing the feet of the disciples, humbling experience for them that was unheard of in that culture, and then the ultimate humbling is giving himself on the cross, right? That's the context of submission. So now let's just look at that quick verse. Verse 21, then it's going to go into the marriage passage. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So because you love Jesus, you're going to do this. You're going to live your life like he lived it. It is not, submission is not coerced or forced. It's an act of free will. And then he's going to go on and basically saying, you got to catch this, like you're going to do this. It's going to take a supernatural work in your life to live a submitted way. That's what this whole context is saying. It's a work of God in you. And we want to live like Jesus in our relationships. And now he says, this is submission. And what he does in this next portion of the passage is he's going to give three examples of what submitting uh, to one another looks like. He'll give a marriage example. That's going to be us for the next two weeks. He'll do one on parenting, and he'll do one in a work relationship. So you're going to see he's going to give examples of this. Today, we'll begin this whole marriage discussion. 
Now, let's go into this passage, starting in verse 22, and we'll read to verse 33. Here we go. Now, before we even read this verse, you have to catch something. In our English translation, there's going to be a verb in there, in it. In the original language, there's not even a verb in verse 22. It's borrowing it from verse 21. The word it's borrowing is the word submit, because it's illustrating that. So here we go. Ladies, your favorite verse in the Bible, this will be on your mirrors, I'm sure, tonight, and making bumper stickers. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husband as you do the Lord. No amens? What, thunderous applause? Nothing here? Okay, just making sure you're with me. Okay, <laughs> easy men, e- easy. Uh, now, honestly, this has probably been one of the most abused passages one of the most misunderstood passages, so we want to take a little time and walk through this thing. Um, Verse 22 could really start by saying, as an example of mutual submission, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do the Lord. Now, guys, when it says submitting as you do the Lord, you're not the Lord, by the way. Guys, don't read yourself into this thing, okay? So relax. This is not at all teaching servility, servanthood. It is not teaching that women are less than In fact, what you're going to find is the exact opposite as we keep reading. Um, Wives, I'll say this. This, although it says you're, in a sense, there's this whole concept of submitting to a husband, you got to understand, this is really more about you and the Lord than anything. That's why it gives that, that caveat at the end where it says, submitting as you do to the Lord, it's almost like saying, as part of your submission to the Lord, you're willingly submitting to him. Okay? So catch that. Verse 23 goes on. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he's the Savior. Now, Mike is going to unpack this a little more detailed next week. I'll give a couple points on it, though, to, to get and highlight today. First of all, what I want you to pay attention to is the focus in the next several verses. The focus and emphasis is not so much on authority. The focus is what you're going to find is about self-sacrifice. That's going to be the big emphasis, not self-serving at all. The husband has a leadership role, but not at all to boss his wife. That's not at all what it is. In fact, it's, he's supposed to look like Jesus in this relationship. In fact, it illustrates it as it goes on. Verse 24 says, Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Larry Crabb, a great author, gave a great definition of submission. And he, said, he, he put it like this. Submission is resisting the urge to control. Resisting the urge to control. You see how that kind of ties back into this Genesis? What was corrupted in there? Oh, this desire to be controlling. That's what it's going back to. And as it goes on, what, another way of thinking this, um, what's the opposite of control? Well, that would be supporting. So another way of thinking of this, like wives, support your husband in everything. Um, now, with this, understand, there's a limit to that. And the limiting factor would be as you would live your life as to the Lord. So if there's something that he's doing that's clearly apart from what God would speak on in Scripture, that's not an area we're submitting in that to and following and supporting, Right? Okay, so there is a caveat in this, obviously. Now, going through verses like this, 
they sound a little unsettling in our modern culture, right? Man, this seems really weird. Um, Because I think there's been a misunderstanding about it. So we'll unpack that in a few minutes. In the ancient world, you want to know what rocked the ancient world? It wasn't what we just read. It was what we're about to read right now. It's about what was said to husbands that rocked the ancient world. Let's go on. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. Whoa, hold on. Husbands, love your wives. Okay. Oh, that, now they're, good job. Brownie points for you from your wife right there. Husbands, love your wife. Now, catch this. Nowhere in ancient texts before this were wives or husbands ever called to love their wives. That was the culture they lived in. That was a foreign concept. You get that? So when it says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Whoa, this means husbands, you're supposed to serve her, love her, cherish her, esteem her, love her so well that you're giving everything for her. That is a radical concept. Verse 26, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. And in the same way, Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for the body just as Christ does the church. For we are all members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. Then he sums it up in verse 33. However, each, of, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. A lot of content in these verses. So we'll start this week unpacking it again. Heavier emphasis for the ladies this week. But what we're going to find, there are essential qualities for any healthy marriage. As he impacts us, what Paul is doing is saying, there's an epic life. We should look, our our life should look really different because we follow Jesus. Our motivation is different because we follow Jesus. And this is what it's going to look like. So in a healthy marriage, there's certain essentials. Here's the first one. Healthy marriage is based on mutual submission. Healthy marriage is based on mutual submission. Now again, ancient world, radical concept. Christianity introduced a revolutionary approach to marriage. At that time, this was a revolutionary approach to marriage. In the Greco-Roman society, wives had obligations to their husbands. Husbands did not have obligations to their wives. So all of a sudden, a, a teaching like this comes along and it's really positioning, wives, you have obligations to him. He has major obligations to you. You've got to love her. That sent shockwaves out there. It was, it was paradigm shattering for the way they looked at everything. It was a big deal. Women's status in the ancient world was different. In that culture, women 
their, their opinions were valued less in moral matters. They were not allowed to own property. Their testimony was considered less valuable or weighty. Um, whatever their husband wanted was kind of the rule of the day. That's the context that this was spoken into. And he is radically turning that upside down. And so Paul does give special teaching to wives, but putting it in the context of verse 21 of mutual submission, what he's doing is he's breaking the paradigm. And all that we've learned from Ephesians, man, we're supposed to love each other, speak kind words to each other, not lie to each other. All this is trickling down in what a marriage should look like. All these things should play out in a marriage. And when it says in verse 21, each of you should submit to one another, who is being called to submit? All believers. Every single one of us. So in Philippians 2, 3, and 4, you'll see it on the screen. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Whoa. You catch that? Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Imagine how that would play out if we applied that principle in our relationships, right? What's taking place here is both of them serve each other because they, mo- they both love, follow, and model Jesus. That's their heartbeat. All of a sudden, this has become... He's reframing this. This is not a one-way thing. This is two-way. You're both in this thing for each other. Submitting is a way of serving. Submitting is a way of saying, I'm going to put your needs first. Whatever you need, I want to do that for you. So both people in the relationship should be coming to it. No, I'm here to lay it down for you. No, I'm here to lay it down for you. I'm looking out for your needs. I'm looking out for your needs. That is the basis of mutual submission, which makes it all work. It's not keeping score. It's not saying, this is what I have to have. It's saying, I'm here to give this for you, and I'm going to look out for you. That's the basis of it. Make sense? It's a big deal. When Paul wrote this, what he was doing in writing this is he elevated the role of the wife, and then he reframed the role of the husband. It's a pretty radical picture, right? Every relationship, every marriage, every healthy marriage is based on mutual submission. Number two, healthy marriage has both love and respect. Healthy marriage has both love and respect. Now, submission is about looking out for each other's needs. Guys have certain needs. Women have certain needs. There are certain things that are going to mean more to each person in a relationship. And verse 33 highlighted an innate one between men and women. And it said this, however, each of you also must love his wife. As he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. Do you catch that wording? Very carefully chosen. Wife must, or husband's supposed to love his wife. The wife must respect her husband. Do you know all of us need both love and respect? But something speaks to each of us more than the other. Guys, do you know one of the things? Women in a relationship need. They need unconditional love. They need it. Um, It means you treat her with value. Um, She's like fine crystal, so you treat her like that. Being aware, be gentle with her, not stepping all over her emotions. She's not Tupperware, okay? 
you treat her with value. Now the now I hear you guys waking up. I get it. Um, but you, you should. You get it? You treat her with great value. The other thing is you treat her uniquely. She's her own person. She's not like anyone else. Part of your privilege is you get to discover who she is. Um, what communicates love to her? We're so used to as guys communicating love. Hey, I'll sacrifice. I can do this. And we just think it's communicating love. And it is in a very real way. But there are different things that she needs to be feeling loved. Sometimes you have to talk to her. Right? <laughs> there's a great book on it. There's different love languages. And one of them is, hey, there's words of affirmation. Maybe she, maybe she really lights up with that. Sometimes it's communicating, it's touch, that she needs to be with you, cuddle, be there. Touch communicates so much, and she wants that. For some ladies, it would be time. She just needs time. Be around, just be there. Time communicates more than anything. Gifts. Ah, you're thinking of me, little thing here, little thing there, a car there, maybe. Um, (laughs) Gifts. Some ladies, it's all of them, right? At the same time. She's unique. Whatever she needs. Listen, that may even change with different seasons what she needs. Part of it is you're supposed to pay attention, right? Oh, now they are really waking up. Okay, ladies, your turn. Um, Let me just say this. (laughs) Before we move on, I'll just admit to this. Listen. Um, I, I said, guys tend to be a little bit slower on this. This is a truly humiliating story. So I'll just step in myself. But um, I told you, when I started dating my wife, um, before we got married, we were in a dating relationship. It was long distance. And um, uh, we, we get together. We have a great time. We're getting together. We're really bonding, connecting. It's going really well. Um, and for guys, uh, in, the way we think, hey, we get together. We connect with our guy friends later. We kind of just pick up where we left off, Right. It can be six months, and boom, you just jump right back in where you were, and off you go. Um, so when we're not a, together, I'm thinking, oh, gosh, we're really good. So I didn't really reach out very much, didn't communicate very much. You know, I know when we get back together, we're here, we're going to end up, right? Look at the ladies cringing around the room right now. <laughs> Someone's going to chuck a shoe at me in any minute. This is what's gonna, about to come. What am I communicating to her? I don't love her, right? I'm communicating lack of care. In my mind, we're good. So... We get back together, we, we reconnect, and I'm there, and wow, what's, I wonder what's wrong with her. She's a little distant, huh? God, we ended really great, so I don't know what her problem is. Uh, you see in the thinking, that's what's going on. And all of a sudden, she's feeling distant. What's that mean? I should pursue that. What's going on? She wants relationship connection. Or what if she responds to something with a little bit of an edge in how she says it? Huh, that felt a little disrespectful. Hmm. For me, it's like, huh, I wonder what her problem is. Uh, you see, because we think through things differently. Now, any woman will tell you, you are being so unloving. Amazing, she stayed there, right? Um, if a guy would just see the little interaction there, she'd say, oh, she's kind of dis- Oh, look how he's ta- she's talking to him. They would catch on, oh, he, he's feeling really disrespected here. And so what it's going to lead into is something out of a study of 7,000 people. They did a survey in conflict. They found that 72% of women said they felt unloved in conflict. 83% of men know what they felt? Disrespected. Whoa. 
Women, unconditional love. What do men need? Unconditional respect. Um, Ladies, let me talk to you for a minute. God hardwired men to be extra sensitive to issues of respect. It's just hardwired. Um, Like how many times has your husband ever said, I I don't think you love me? (laughs) Right? Right? It just—it does not usually happen like that. It just doesn't play out. Um, you love us. We know it. You're really good at it, actually. We know you love us. Um, what would mean more to your husband? And guys would answer this pretty quickly. If in a card you wrote to him says, I love you more than anyone I've ever loved. Or she wrote in a card, I respect you more than any man on earth. Ooh. Now, for men, I'm telling you, most men would say they would take that respect one right away because they're hardwired for that. There's something in there. Now, ladies, this is for you. Somewhere it became okay um, in the thinking to say, I can love him, but I don't have to respect him. And those are two different categories that you play in your mind. Um, I think I get where a lot of that comes from. In our culture, there's this concept that we are all supposed to earn our respect, right? There's, there's a concept out there like that. Earning respect is actually not biblical. Look at 1 Peter 3, verses 1 and 2. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your what? Respectful. And pure conduct. You catch that? There's something so powerful about a man when he's feeling respect, it can change him. can change him. You know, there's certain things that really disrespect a husband. One of the things is this. If you publicly shame your husband in conversation, or he feels like it's always out there as some kind of gossip, He feels shamed. He feels disrespected by that. What you post in social media. You know, I looking this week at it, saw a lot of people from church. Looking at social media, things that were posted about their husbands, I was shocked by. I'm gonna show you a few of those. I'm joking. All right. I love that moment. I really do. My sinful nature loves that moment. Um, but what I, what, listen, I'll say this. If you felt guilty or scared in that moment, <laughs> all right, you know what you got to do, right? He's designed to feel respected. You're called to respect that. That's so disrespectful to him. Um, another thing that's disrespectful to guys, to men, nagging. Um, easy, 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 easy. Okay, listen, nagging. One thing you'll notice is guys do not tend to nag other guys, right? If they tend to start nagging another guy, what's going to happen? Boom, the right hand of fellowship coming up. So it, it does not end well. You just don't go there. So you got to be careful on that. Not saying you cannot bring things up that are sensitive or you need to talk about. How you bring it up is everything. That's why it leads into the next one. It's almost like how you approach conflict. You've got to approach it with your tone, a respectful tone. Otherwise, if it comes across like you're trying to pick a fire to be really quarreling in it, 
he's kind of in a no-win situation. And that just speaks at his, gosh, his whole masculinity. He feels really disrespected in it because if he just kind of takes all that harshness, he's kind of like a carpet being walked on. But if he reacts to it, he's the jerk. And he's like, oh, I can't do that. I don't want to do it. And so for a guy, sometimes what they'll do is get quiet because what they think, that's the most honorable thing to do because they don't want to say something hurtful or unloving. For guys, for a lady, the minute you do that, they're thinking, man, he's pulling away. He doesn't even care. I'm trying to engage this, but he's pulling away relationally. Why would he do that? That's so unloving. Do you see how we see we can look at it differently? But what I just want to highlight for ladies is how you approach it will be everything. Because it's men are hardwired to respond to issues of respect. Does that make sense? Now, here's a question. A lot of people probably ask this and wonder about it. Why in the world would God say, treat somebody with respect even when they're being unloving, right? What is that about? Well, listen, the way God designed this thing is it's actually a secret. If you want a more loving husband, you start moving in respect. And I'm telling you, it softens. Maybe not right away, but he will notice it. And something begins to happen. That's that 1 Peter 3 verse that we read earlier. Um, guys can get built up in their ego so quickly, right? Um, ladies, you've seen that. Uh, all it takes, hey, ask a guy to open up a jar. <laughs> he feels like, yeah, he'll start flexing for you. He's all excited about that. I'll take care of that, right? Doesn't take much for a guy to feel esteemed in a moment. Um, so let me just say this. If you change your tone a little, guys, do you think it's fair? Does tone matter? Yeah, it does. Tone matters. So if you change your tone, that's going to speak something to him. He, he's going to feel like, man, there's, real, there's something going on here. It'll, it'll catch notice. Um, another thing you could do that's respectful is just point out a unique quality that you see in him. Um, and it could be something like this, like, hey, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but a lot of people come and they seek you out for advice and wisdom. I just, I just think you're probably one of the wisest people that I know. Whoa, he probably didn't even catch that dynamic in his life. Like, you just pointed something out. He will feel so built up by that. Or, you know, you are such a hero to our kids. Look at the way you play with them. You're on their level. They know you love them. I'm just so proud to have you as a dad to those kids. Whoa. He wasn't even thinking about what he's doing, but now he's really thinking about it, and he wants to even do it better because you spoke value into him. You saw something he may not even see in himself. That speaks something to him. That's a big deal. So one of the reasons you do it is because you motivate people by meeting some of their most basic needs. It's just how you do it. That's why Jesus would even lay it out like that. Jesus did relationship in life like that. A lot of times that was his entrance into ministry. He'd meet a basic need and give him authority to speak and move in new ways in that relationship. And another reason that it says to respect, even when they're unloving, is because this really doesn't even have anything to do about the man. It has everything to do about your relationship with Jesus, your relationship with God. Colossians chapter 3, 23 says this, Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ that you are serving. Ladies, when you do this, you're doing this as if unto Jesus. What did he do for you? 
everything. So the context of mutual submission, you're willing to lay it down even when you're feeling unloved. That will radically have an effect. There's something so significant that'll happen emotionally, relationally, and spiritually. And men, you know, this is focused on ladies right now, but the same goes to you. That you act loving even when you're feeling disrespected. Okay? A couple things you've seen. Essentials in uh, a marriage, for a healthy marriage, mutual submission, love and respect. One more. Healthy marriage includes wives honoring the leadership role. Healthy marriage includes wives honoring the leadership role. Now, Paul says something, that guys have a unique leader role in the marriage. Um, It is not better. It is not more significant. It is not superior. It's a different role. In fact, they both have equal standing before God. Remember in Genesis 1 that we read, They were both what? Created in the image of God. They are both image bearers of God. You cannot have a more esteemed role. One is not better than the other. Different roles. Galatians 3.28 said it in another way. You'll see it on the screen. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Get it? We're all level before Jesus. Equal standing, different roles. Now, I know there are some people, some ladies, who would react, even the concept that he would have some kind of responsibility or role, a leader role in the relationship. And for some ladies, they think it's very good reasons. Some would say, I don't know if you've met my husband. If you looked at an evolutionary chart, he's like three clicks back. I think his knuckles drag when he walks. Like, I'm supposed to honor that role. Like, that's what you're thinking, right? It just doesn't make any sense, doesn't compute. Again, go back to that First Peter 3. There's something, you're going to trust the Lord, and he's been designed for this. And um, another reason people have a hard concept with this is there is truly a false picture of what this really is or what it really means. Um, so I want to give you a different picture. Um, imagine, imagine like when you have watched a couple who is so gifted dancing, you ever seen really skilled people on the dance floor, like, and it's just beautiful. There's something, it's kind of mesmerizing, almost like they're floating around this floor. It's this truly magical thing. They're responding to each other in such gentle ways. Um, they make each other look amazing. It is often hard to even tell who's leading, but there's someone leading in that dance. But man, it's so hard to see it. It's graceful. It's beautiful. It draws you in to watch it and to see it. It's truly like a work of art. That is a picture of marriage. What it's been designed to be as king and queen. Do you get it? So um, it's not a picture of someone dragging someone across the dance floor. Okay? It's a graceful, beautiful picture. Submission, often, that's why a lot of people react. Submission think, ah, this is hierarchy kind of thing. It's like in the military. We motivate through fear. No, that's not what it is. So guys, you can't just say, hey, go bake me a lasagna, right? What's going to happen? You will get a spatula coming right back at you. That's what's going to happen. That's not how this thing plays out. It is designed to be a voluntary relational aspect in your relationship. That's what it is. Motivated by love to put somebody else's needs first. So Paul is reframing the cultural stereotype. And as he reframes the cultural stereotype... 
um, he's saying, husbands, you're supposed to lead like Jesus. That means you're supposed to sacrifice in such a radical way that you become her servant. That's what he's, he's painting a picture of. And uh, it is not at all a domineering thing. It is not self-serving. It is the 180 of it. It is self-sacrificing. That's the picture. So ladies, a couple, thing about, a couple things about honoring this role. You, you really are called to respect that role, honor that role for two reasons. One is, do you know what his responsibility in this relationship is? And this will get unpacked in a lot of detail next week, but um, his job is to die. It's to die. The way that Paul used the illustration is, it says, ladies, you're supposed to be like, uh, respond as the church says to Jesus. And what did Jesus do for the church? He died. He laid it down. That's why his, his job is to do that. Do you know that's why a lot of times for guys, um, many guys, if they're growing up and maturing like they should, but they would, they'll work three jobs. They'll put their dreams on hold. They'll drive the crummy car. They will do whatever it takes because their job is to lay it down. They won't often even take, make no, mention of it, make notice of it because, guys, we have, there's something within that you're called to do that. That's who we are. They honor you by sacrificing. Um, it's in their DNA. That's why guys love movies like that have honor and sacrifice as themes. If you're, there's a brave heart. Or the old movie Glory or Saving Private Ryan. Something where there's sacrifice in there. That you'll see guys like that because it speaks to something that we're called to do. And we know that. That's part of our design. So when you see men doing that, a husband doing that, you should speak that out. Notice it. Say it. That'll go so far. The second reason... Um, that you want to honor this role is because, one, he has to die, but the other one is his job and his responsibility is this, is he's going to be held accountable spiritually for the family before the Lord. Remember in Genesis, when the fall happened, Eve sinned first. When God confronted Adam Adam got chastised for being passive in this. He's being held responsible. That's why Joshua, in the book of Joshua, he says, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Just someone taking spiritual responsibility in the home. So as the one who should be most responsible, it doesn't mean um, that he has to know everything spiritual. doesn't have to know more scripture. You may have Ladies, you may be much farther spiritually in a lot of different things. You know how to pray for do all these things better. But it doesn't negate the fact that he's going to be held accountable spiritually more in the family. So there's a sense of honoring that role and that expectation for him. So what this means is if, if he begins to step out spiritually, he begins to want to start praying or leading out, be slow to be his critic, give him constructive feedback, it's got to be in a very respectful way, but like the, if he's just beginning to step out, well, you should have done it really like this. Easy. <laughs> Don't drag your feet. Support him in it. I got to tell you this, ladies. 
most men, they've never even had a great role model in this. So they're doing their best. They're trying to figure this out. you got to give him grace in it. Um, he needs your support. If he's discussing family things, and he's thinking, man, this would be so great for our family. I want to try this or do this. Um, just be slow to be really resistant, engaged. Not that you don't give your feedback. He needs your feedback. He needs your thought. This is a dance together. But you want to feel like you're, he's partnering with you. Ladies, um, just know this. It is hard to lead if someone doesn't want to be led. You got to feel like, he's got to feel like you're with us in him. He needs your support. Um, now, and just know, it looks like talking. It looks like praying. Really, I mean, it's, I look at uh, walking with my wife. It's pretty rare that we're going to see something so radically different. And if we do, we, I slow way down. We all slow way down. Let's talk about it. Let's pray about it. We're not making any quick decision there. The greatest thing we'd ever want to do is be on the same page whenever we move. So that takes time. Gently. Seeking the Lord. Going before it. Do you see the picture of that? Um, the same time, there's a responsibility. And listen, any man with half a brain, most men have half, um, <laughs> They recognize that your partner's in this thing, your kings and queens in this thing. They, they, he needs you. He doesn't just need his wife's input. He relies on it. He doesn't need his, just his wife's gifts. He wants her perspective. He wants her sense. He needs that. He needs you. You're designed to work together in this thing. Um, a lot of times in a marriage, too, people can take on different responsibilities in there. It doesn't mean that. A lot of women are much better at finances. Great. They run that whole department. It's like because the guys aren't not as good at that doesn't mean that within the home and marriage different things aren't divvied out because certain strengths each other's strengths will balance each other's weaknesses out you want to rely on that um now know this ladies if you do this if you learn to honor that role it will go well with you there's a promise in deuteronomy 7 that when you walk in obedience to god there's a blessing on your life there'll be a blessing on your marriage life There'll be a blessing from seeing life with a different perspective. That's, what it's, it's, that's the heart behind this thing. And ladies, i got to say this. You cannot say, I'm going to resist my husband, but follow Jesus. That's the violation. Got it? Make sense? Let me give two questions for wives as we land the plane. Um, again, this is your mail. Guys, you'll get some more mail next week. So, number one. Ladies, ask yourself, am I honoring his role? Am I honoring his role? Listen, part of this goes is how you frame your thoughts in your mind. You have to believe that he's honorable. Know that God's made him to be like that. He wants to lay his life down. Ladies, get this. He would die for you, literally. He may not know how to love you well. And love you in your language. He may be blind to that. But I'm telling you, no, he's an honorable man. He would die for you. He would. Um, acknowledge that you know that. That's the truest part of who he is. He would sacrifice for you. Part of that's just even knowing and believing that. Um, one thing that you could be doing too to honor that is you take any opportunity you can to build him up in other people's eyes. You esteem him. Brag about him to your kids, your family. Lift him up. 
Um, be gentle when he's wrong. Be gentle when he's wrong. Um, even honor him still. Uh, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> laughing already. Listen, I, I, I was thinking about this one. Several, a uh, couple years ago, um, my wife and I saw something radically, saw it just totally different. And guess who was right? Not me, no. Uh, <laughs> she was so right, it's not even funny. She was absolutely right. One of the things I can tell you this, um, as we've looked back on this, she's never gotten historical on me, where whenever we're in conversation about something else, she doesn't just drop this one in there as a, mm, getcha. Because I'm telling you, she could put it in there and twist it, because she was so right on it. She was so right. Um, we talked about this again a couple weeks ago, and uh, I am telling you, she was so gracious in how she still talked about it. I'm telling you, I felt respected, and I, I can own, I was absolutely wrong, I saw it wrong, and it's actually drawn us closer together. That's how it should work. But listen, even when he's wrong, honor and be gentle. Make sense? And my honoring his role, last thing I'll just even say on that is when you see him getting behind Jesus, you support him any way you can, even if he's fumbling as he does it. Support him. A good leader is just someone who's following Jesus. It's a man behind Jesus, right? Support him any way you can. Okay, question number two for you. Am I offering unconditional respect? Am I offering unconditional respect? Ladies, guys, need it. I'll tell you a secret. They're insecure creatures, okay? And the opinions of their wives matter so much to them. Why? Because if a man's wife, he can't get his wife to even respect him, who knows him better than anybody else, he feels like a failure. So ladies, respect your husband until he becomes respectable. Okay? Respect him until he becomes respectable. I'm telling you, it'll, the, something will be happening in that relationship. Something else men do. Men borrow confidence that is instilled by them from their wives. Do you hear that? Men borrow confidence that's instilled to them by their wives. Great military leaders know this. They can be a room full of young soldiers And what's that leader going to do? He will speak confidence into them, tell them what he sees in them before they even see it in themselves. And what happens? They begin to rise up because their confidence is being spoken into them. That's how it will work. Listen, it doesn't take a lot for a guy, you know, to be moved. They have, you know, they're simple creatures in this sense. Their egos can be built up fairly quickly. We've talked about that. Um, You can compliment them, and you think, I don't even think he'll believe it. No, he'll even believe it, despite the best evidence against it. Um, (laughs) You're not really slow on that mechanically. You're just persistent. Oh, I'm persistent. Awesome. Yeah, I'm really good at that. (laughs) Right? They'll just move on. They do that. Now, listen, you're you're just going to have to work at this. You're making a commitment to go there. Um, And I can tell you, my wife is great. I I am, I'm a, I, mechanically, I have two left hands. It's just ridiculous. My wife will make such a big deal if I ever fix anything because it just never happens. I, it usually will go the opposite. I'll break it. I'll blow it up. And she'll esteem me so much if I do any little movement in that area. But guys need it. We need compliments, and you got to speak that stuff out. It'll build them up. It's a way of respecting him. 
especially when he feels less than in something, right? It's how it's designed. Men, I want to say one thing here. You could make your wife's job a lot easier by giving her something to say, right? More than, well, he eats, yeah, and sleeps, he, yeah, he's that. Come on, you got to step it out here. Um, be respectable. Be honorable. Be the man in the relationship where you're willing to lay yourself down for her and, and love her in a way that communicates to her. More on that next week. But ladies, these two questions, you honoring his role and are you offering unconditional respect? I'm telling you, something radical will begin to happen in the relationship. It may take time, but it's an act of faith. Sound good? Let's go before the Lord on this one. Let's pray. Bow your heads. Now, I really want you to think about this. This, is, uh, this will be the most important time as you bring this to the Lord. First thing I want to highlight, this is a spiritual issue more than anything else. Ladies, remember the context of this whole thing. This is an example, submitting is an example of being filled by the Holy Spirit. By saying, I'm submitting my life so God can fill me up. It always is an indicator of your relationship with Jesus, with your relationship with God. It starts with you and God. So let me just, let me just prep, because I want to pray some specific things for the wives and future wives. But this, you start by preparing your heart, by remembering, remember how Jesus sacrificed for you. Think about that. He laid it all down. He did not hold back. He loved first. He served you. Your posture right now is you're telling Jesus, I surrender again to you. I surrender. I trust you. I surrender to you. You know, in Ephesians, it talks about the restoration of all things. If you're going to trust God to do a restorative thing in your marriage, this is where it begins. It is going to take a supernatural work for this to happen. And it comes with your posture before the Lord. Men, you know this is true for you too. The Lord is already speaking to you. He is. If anybody in here has never surrendered to Christ as the king, true king, you say, I surrender. I surrender my sin. I know I caused you to go on the cross. I'm part of that problem. I see the problem in my relationships. I see it. I don't act loving or I don't act respectful. I, I know this, that I need this. I'm broken. So I confess my brokenness and my sin and I accept the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. I accept it. Fill my life up. I'm humble. I don't have a lot to offer. I just have myself and it's broken. I bring that to you. This is where we trust God to radically turn that around. It's beautiful. He makes old things new, and he'll restore. Ladies, some of you, this message strikes much more personally, and much it's just a much harder message to hear and swallow or even think about practicing. Um, you have been hurt deeply. And if you're somebody where the walls are up so high, this is a you cannot even imagine 
letting the walls come down. You have felt unloved for so long. You don't think, like, he'll never get it. Listen, he is God's to deal with. Let the Lord deal with him. This is about you. And so you just start by saying, Lord, you created him. You created him to be an honorable man. I will trust you to restore it. And I want to pray for you. The first thing I want to say, though, is this. The Lord sees you. He knows that you have felt very alone. For ladies, this has been very difficult. He also knows what you need, so trust him. Um, And the way you trust him is by doing this. You tell him, I'm taking the walls down. Last night, I got a text from a lady that I know well, and she said, Dave, I've always had the wall up when it comes to this part of Scripture. have heard a lot of abusive things. You did a great job with it. The walls came down. So tell the Lord, I'm dropping the walls, and then say, Holy Spirit, fill me up. Fill me up. So I'll lead you in a prayer. You just say, God, I trust you. And you say that again, I trust you. I trust you. And you're saying, you're trustworthy. You're trustworthy. You are trustworthy. Help my little faith. Lord, I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like him. I want to serve my husband. And men, you know what you're supposed to be praying. And ladies, you'd say, forgive me for not recognizing that this is an issue between me and you, God. So I humble myself again. And then pray this. Say, Lord, make me the most respectful person my husband knows. Make me the most respectful person that he ever knows. Help me to honor his role, support him. I want to pray another prayer. This is for people who have a spouse who is far from God. They don't know God, maybe. So Lord, as a church, we also come and we are praying right now that you would break through any spiritual barrier between anybody and you. We pray specifically for spouses who don't know you. Lord Jesus, would they see by the behavior of their spouse, especially wives who have unbelieving husbands, that by their response to him, we're trusting your word is true, that you will do a transformative work in their life. We pray for stories of restoration and healing, people coming to you. So we do pray for salvation. I also just want to pray for all marriages now or in the future. I just know there's a lot of brokenness in this area. So God, would you come and heal anyone who feels broken by this or feels lack of faith for trusting this will be in their future. Just meet them as well. But I pray, Lord, that all our marriages, it would look like this beautiful picture, a seamless dance with grace and honor, esteem and favor and love, friendship, partnership. Would our marriages, even in this church, just be a testimony to everybody outside and to our kids? May they see it too. Would, your, would humility fall on all of us so the power of God can rise through us? And that is our prayer. We're going to end by worshiping, and we're going to sing this song. They're going to do this chorus of a song. It's called Breathe For Me. The idea is that as we surrender our life, God has freedom to work through our life. 
like, I can't, but you can. Breathe for me. Do it through me. That's what we're saying. We're saying, I surrender so you can move. So I'm going to invite you to stand. Um, We will be taking our offering during our time of worship here, too. So we're responding through giving, but continue to give your heart. So go ahead and stand up. And I'm going to ask that God continues to meet us as we worship. Lord, as we do this, we are, we're doing this by faith. We are declaring by faith that as we sing these words, as we surrender our lives, you will come and you will do what you promised to do and fill us up and bring strength in place of weakness. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't we all need to come pretty humbly into conversations like this? We have a lot to learn. Just reminder, Ephesians is about the restoration. God does a transforming work. There is something very significant that's been happening relationally, spiritually today as we surrender like this. So I want to pray that God would continue that. Lord, you know all of our hearts. Something happened over this last hour, hour and a half. And walls are coming down. So would you continue to just plow new fields and bring new life into places it was just weeds or desert. So we ask that you... Um, would fill us up again with your spirit in every place we lay ourselves down. Would you protect and honor every heart here? Protect us relationally, spiritually. And I ask you, God, that our marriages would be touched and future marriages would be spoken into by what happened today. So would you continue on what you began throughout this week? We ask you, Lord, uh, for the sake of your kingdom, we really pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, great. Well, guys, next week we got some news for you. So you may not not show up, okay? So come on out. It's going to be a great time. Mike will be here bringing that message. And, um, you know, in conversations like this, a lot of times you think, I wish I had a little bit more to dig into. We have a bookstore. There's some great resources in there. One book I'll highlight, it's a book called Love and Respect. It is a great book. I'll leave it. There's a workbook that goes with it. But I would encourage you, check that out. If you'd like to dig in deeper, check out that resource there. We also have um, people to pray with. If uh, anybody you'd like to pray with today before you take off, feel free to stop by there. It was great being with you today. So God bless you guys. We'll see you next week.